Hey everyone, this is Michelle Hensley with The Edge of Grace. Make sure you follow and share us so everybody that is looking for information on recovery has the opportunity to obtain that. We're going to share all of our links with all of our guests that have appeared on our Facebook page. Subscribe and follow. Just do it. It's recovery. It could save somebody's life. Share, follow, sponsor. We need sponsors. So here it is, me. I'm a young child. I'm only child for uh, 13 years. Um, I grew up in public housing on northeast side Indianapolis. I would my grandma described us as poor, but just didn't know it, and I agree. Because there wasn't anything that I ever wanted for or needed, but it was clear and it was understood, you know, when I went to school and how we went out um, and some of those same things are we see sadly still today, but you're reminded that you are, are looked at as less than. But I had a happy life. You know, I grew up, if we look at it, you know, I can tie this in, it'll kind of jump around because it's just how how it goes. Um, I can tie my childhood into my addiction and into my recovery and just to my wholeness. Growing up, you know, with, you know, in public housing, everybody, there, it's like a big family. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody's looking in those days. Everybody's looking out for everybody's kids. You know, you got your, you got your OGs or your old guys or, Maybe even gangsters. I was a kid. I don't know if they were gangsters or not. <laughs> but they'd have a little section, and in, in, in it almost seemed like, you know, in there were courts, uh, what you call courts in public housing. So, you know, literally a court of maybe 20 families, and then you got another court. But they're all in within this complex. So, you know, you had your, your old guys, which I could look at now as like our security mm-hmm. over us women and kids. You know, because you have to imagine it's, all, it's people all the time, everywhere. And we have parks inside the complex. You know, it's just this big, happy family. And so they, but, but they're over there drinking and, and they're smoking and they're shooting craps and talking loud and, you know, saying all that tasteful language that's not really tasteful. And, and, and I learned that I shouldn't say. <laughs> I didn't know I wasn't supposed to because it's not I heard, so I did. So, you know, I, I, you know, I had that, you know, my childhood was that, but with that, you you know, I seen a lot of hurt um, and just, you know, from the women and kids as a result of whatever with the relationship with the same men, Um, you know, you just seen, I seen a lot as a kid. So um, for as far as my family goes, I come from a family of a, a rather nice-sized family. My grandparents had 12 kids, six and six. Uh, my mother's the oldest, second oldest of uh, the girls, so she's number five, and then, you know, I have six uncles and five aunts. Needless to say, so I'm the second oldest grandchild, and everybody was had a hand in raising me. It was awesome, <laughs> you know, um, there was no shortage of family and, and going and, and, you know, I could move around and go visit. So as an only child with my mom, you know, I always wanted to go somewhere and stay all night. 
can I go over this aunt's or that aunt's? And even though they didn't have kids at the time, but I just wanted to always go somewhere else. You know, you're tired of staying home. My mom worked nights and went to nursing school during the day. So all of my childhood life, I was at grandma's or aunt's or grandma and grandpa's or aunt's or something. So as, you know, you know, as I'm getting older, you know, my family, every, there was nothing to have a get-together or go to one aunt's or the other, my grandmother's sibling. And the way they had their good time was drinking and, you know, smoking and music and dancing and, and, and having fun. Like, this is fun. Then, then then comes my cousin, we'll call him Jay. He he and I were a year, we were eleven months apart. God rest his soul. He passed with uh, difficulties of alcohol disorder. But when we were about ten, we started to we never mind. We're gonna play this little game, right? Because um, we want to know what's in these glasses in this cup. <laughs> You know, you say you feel me. So we're gonna we're gonna run in and they're dancing, having a good time, talking loud. We eat, you know. So here's the kids. You know, kids are we never got to hang out with the adults. You know, you were a child. You you can go play or you can go watch TV or you know whatever. We'd make our way around and see how we could get. We decided one day, and that was the beginning. Um, when I look back, um, that we're gonna we're gonna wait till. And so-and-so sits her glass down because she's already. We, we're going to watch for who's lit already. It ain't paying, we think they're not paying attention to their glass, right? So that's how that started. And we're drinking. And we discover, shoot, ooh, you know, oh, wow. But what we didn't anticipate was we wouldn't, we wouldn't enjoy it right away. We, we'd have drank too much and passed out and told on ourselves. And then in all that, my aunt, I know I ain't crazy. I told you, friends, and my drink was gone. Every time I look up, my drink is gone, you know. So that was, that was you know, we thought that we were, we, we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into and what we were doing. And for me, that was the beginning. Like, I didn't do it, you know, anymore on a regular, but it was, it was the introduction to alcohol as a, as they feel good to have fun at a really, really young age. And so it was a memory that stuck. And, and you know, so so I fast forward high school. It just started a, you know, I, I was, I'm a young, young single mother with a, with a, in a, in a relationship with a guy who I thought loved me and we loved each other and everything's hunky dory, right? So, he he's abusive, so I find so I figure he find this out firsthand, obviously, um, that that he's really controlling, but he can clean it up really good in a loving way and and provide these things and do. He's so sorry, you know, he's so fine and all these things, and he he was drinking and didn't mean to, so, you know that. It didn't last long. We were in a relationship for about a year and a half. I had um, my oldest daughter. She's 33 as a result. And then after the first domestic incident, he, you know, I had broken my nose, black, both eyes, really, really a traumatic um, incident. So I, I left. I, I had my own place, but I moved um, in in an effort to try to get away from him. 
in that same time, found out that I was three months pregnant. And meanwhile, my oldest daughter is only six months old. I feel like I have to fast forward. I can't, I can't stay in one thing so much. But, you know, being a victim of domestic violence and, and near-fatal uh, car accidents and uh, drug addiction as a result of, you know, you know, I have so fast forward to, to the marriage and to my life going into active addiction and recovery and, and, and my journey to here. You know, at about 20 years old, my husband and I started dealing drugs. Crack cocaine, um, it's a huge business, you know, shame, but, you know, now it was what it was. And so as a result of that, I became addicted to crack cocaine and stayed in active use for almost four years. I justified it by telling myself that it's okay for me. I'm able to have a home for my kids. There, no, nothing's, nothing's hurting. Nothing's lacking. That starts out right, um, until it is. Until things are uh, lacking or making bad choices, really bad choices that are affecting the family, not just myself. For instance, I I I racked up my criminal record in active addiction. Uh, there's nothing on my pack but theft. Because I'm, I'm going to go in and take something to sell um, as opposed to selling me. That's just not something I'm willing to do. Not, and, and, you know, and I don't say that to discount anybody because, uh, you know, addiction is addiction. And we do things that aren't in our best interest for, for whatever that drug of choice is when we're addicted. So mine was to go and... Um, it's called criminal conversion first, but after a while, that's bumped up. It's straight up theft, felony. You know, so um, that's that. You know, so here I am now. I have a criminal record, and you know, I'm in an addiction, and you know, it's just not. This is just not panning out. You know, and then, you know, and my husband. So then, by now, you know, he's got his issues, and so we we are together, and then we aren't. We're together, and then we aren't. So. You know, for me, that was hard, and, you know, I stayed in that addiction until, you know, I had to, to realize that, you know, this is, well, I, had to, I had to prioritize my life, you know, as a real, first, my, it was my kids, the motivation, and then it became for me, and then God, and that sounds strange, and it sounds backwards, but it's the truth for me. Like I didn't count God because he's he's a he's a staple he's there like I didn't it was no factor that he was was the first thing that had me you know I was more focused for me what I needed to be for God for what he has given me which is my kids you know that's in my when I wrap my mind around that when God revealed that to me I um. I started doing a lot of reading of the Bible and just praying that he would take that taste, that craving, and that he would occupy me with things to do while I'm trying to go through this because I'm a single mom. I'm not working, and that's my choice um, because uh, my husband, with all four of our daughters, I was able to 
be home until they got to kindergarten or, or early childhood, three or four years old. And that came with its set of challenges and, you know, for me, because where's my out sometime, you know? So what I did was went back to school, you know, and that's that began that journey for recovery for me, just kind of ramped it up. Uh, so I enrolled in school. I was still using, um, and it wasn't until actually my daughter walked in and came home. They had went a half a day that day. She was 14. She's 33 now. One week after that, that I stopped smoking crack cocaine because I had vowed that that was it, I was done, and, you know, because somebody had, um, was calling, just kept calling, calling, calling about this VCR that I was supposed to get them and hadn't gotten it yet, you know. Um, so, you know, your kids get older, they can hear, they can read between lines, right? So they started saying things like, Mom, we're not stupid, like, da, 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 da. not to mention uh, the husband uh, who is is mindful of all of what I'm doing, but not willing to acknowledge his his role in in in, in the whole thing. You know, it you know it was just you know a disappointment after disappointments because I didn't, I, I was gonna stop three times before I actually did, but the last time was when I didn't realize that my daughter was went a half day, and I must have went was you know I was always in the bedroom door shut you know. I hear someone knocks at the door, and I'm like, oh, shoot. You know, and I go, and I open it not long after, you know, getting high. And, you know, she she just looks at me, and she just starts screaming. You know, but that look, it, you know, it just broke me and took everything. In a, I can't even describe the feeling, but it was enough. I, that was it. I never. She she went past me and went and slammed her door, and I went to go to walk, you know, to her door, and she slammed it like right in that, you know, and that slam was, you know, it was so powerful enough to have me where I am today, and that's, you know, I. That's 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 a powerful thing, and so I know. Um, what God was, what he done for me with giving me my children. Um, so I don't know if it was, if I didn't have them, if I'd even be willing to try to do it. That's God's grace and mercy. Because, you know, I know that I didn't have anything else but him. When I said, just started praying and reading, that was a real thing, like, I have to go back to that because that's where my recovery sits is in that space with God that I decided to learn more about because he's showed me over and over. You know, I've had two near-death car accidents and, you know, um, stabbed and left. Um, you know, even, even more impactful is the, the near-fatal accident. When I tell you, you hit a curve and your car tops this curve somehow and sits on a rail that the rail is a guardrail to keep you from going off into the highway down below it about 50 feet. And I hit it, hit the curve, car, and it sat there. 
hit my head on the steering wheel, and I look up. I'm looking literally straight ahead to the sky. And if I look over to the left, you know, literally the car moves. If I move the wrong way, it's, I'm nosedive, probably explode. And I said, Lord, and that's all I got out when I, the door, you know, when I went to the door opened, and I just fell out of it onto the ground. The car did not move. Never budged. Never budged. So we have a picture of it. This was sitting on this edge like this. And, and you know, that's the front and that's the back, and this is the rail, steel rail. I'm just sitting there. You know, and, and, and you know, and then the time when I'm driving and I'm gonna dodge a squirrel or something in the street and and jig the, the truck, I had an expedition and hit a light pole, took it down, um, and, and literally seen the flame of the wire go down the street for as far as I could see in my rear view. Um, and I'm I'm trying to try my best to elbow and get out my door, get out, because I see this fire, and I'm thinking, I got to get out of here. That door would not budge, and, 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 the, and the street's pitch dark, all the power's out, and I hear people hollering from across the street, are you okay, are you okay? But I can't open the door, I can't do anything. So when the fire trucks and the police, they, they, they run up, they're running up, and they're saying something, but I can't hear them, and they're telling me not to get out of the truck, and when he gets up here and he does something, he has something, and he does spray something, and it's the line that fell from the light pole that I would have stepped on had the door open for me. And I know that was nothing but God because the man walked right up and opened the door. I mean, that door was, it was not budging. So those kind of instances when we talk about God keeping us or things that we know or weren't us that didn't have anything to do with us. So whether, you know, it's your higher power or it's Jesus Christ, whatever it is, you know, people got to know that it's something that keeps you. And I know who it is for me. And, you know, so when I think back on all of those things, you know, it lines up with who I've always been as a person anyway, but magnified to, to one, share what I know about God, and two, help other people who are dealing with things that they may not understand or things that they no longer want to be dealing with but don't know how to recover from or get back from. You know, I, ju I just... I decided to be that voice that God was telling me to be, full-fledged. So I graduated college, and I and I was I had friends still in active use. And about 2012, one of my good friends was beat up really, really bad, behind taking drugs from a from a guy, and and she just kind of went off the radar. And I decided, you know, after about a month or so, I said, you know. I need to reach out. I got to find out how to get in touch with, you know. And I said, I have to find out how to get in touch with. I need to 
find out how I can reach her. And in that moment, God spoke to me in touch outreach. And so I wrote it down. I said, in touch outreach. And I wrote I tour in parentheses. It, it's been since then, from then till now, that he is steady showing me what to do with ITOR and how to do what he has for me to do. So I, I, I developed a business plan and started a nonprofit called In Touch Outreach Resource Center who works with individuals and their families who are pushing through substance use and mental health challenges and or disorder. The only experience I had with the substance use side of the disorder was being a survivor of substance use disorder, a person in recovery. So I could only speak to the substance use and, and that. But I, I learned, I've, I've, I went to commit to educating myself through uh, certifications and trainings to learn more about substance use addiction uh, and recovery addiction as it relates to recovery, been a really eye-opening journey for me, learning more about and helping me to understand even myself. And, you know, so so I am now a certified addiction peer recovery coach, uh, level two with a mental health endorsement. And uh, the peer recovery component uh, simply means I am a person with lived experience and I am your peer you're my peer because we are all in recovery from something, substance use or mental health. My education background college-wise is mental health. I'm everything mental health first, cognitive cognitive behavior therapist, interventionist uh, certification, you know, really taught me talk therapy, um, as it relates to behavioral health, and it's a really powerful tool, and that's what I use and practice. Simply talking, having a conversation, I feel like is a powerful healer if and when somebody can get there, and that's where the coaching comes in. So I try to be effective in that. There's so much to absorb when we look at our community and the hurt Lately, I've done a lot with my self-care, and I've been vacationing and having a little fun. But I have to be honest, in the back of my head, I feel like, should I be doing this right now? And then I tell myself, yes, that you need to be doing this right now. (laughs) You know, so it's something to be on the side of wellness. It's important to share what it feels like over here. You got to have some hope, I think, sometimes before you can get the faith. You know, I'm like, Lord, if you say so, I'm just going to keep showing up and being Michivet one person at a time because it's, it's rough for people. But it's, it's a blessing. I'm, you know, I don't take it lightly, the role that I have in my community and, you know, the, quite frankly, the power that comes with me and my story and what I do. I don't take it for granted um, at all. And so what I'm learning is to walk more in it in a way that exuberates 
I don't know if power is the right word, but that exuberates that confidence so that maybe I can allow somebody to hope because I can be inspiring enough. You may feel confident enough to try to do some of those things that that you may want to do. Like I challenge recoveries that I work with to think about something that they may want to do that they just can't imagine doing. If it's skydiving or running, whatever, something. Just imagine, you know, you know the the freedom and happiness in imagining. I mean, Michelle, like when you imagine how something's gonna look, or just you get excited about it, like get just you. But you have to get that visual. And when you broke for so long, I feel like sometimes we stop looking at or for things that make us happy or could make us happy, like dream. Just dream a little bit.